right. Hello, 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 and welcome back to an exciting episode of A Little Something Gay. Ah, you guys, I am so excited today. I am joined by one of my dear, dear friends, one Mr. Joshua Lindsay. Oh, hey, how are you? (laughs) So, so good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we're getting a chance to catch up and shoot the shit a little bit. It's been too long. I know, right? When was the last time we actually like really had a chat? I was, I think, I mean, we've obviously like chatted a little over Instagram, but I think the last time we saw each other was like you were in town in Oklahoma City and I met you at The Boom for karaoke. So that would have been at least three years ago. Oh my God, I have vivid memories of that. Yeah, we um, and maybe since then that I'm not remembering, but I think it's been like three years, man. I th- I think that's when it was, yeah. Yeah. What's your go-to karaoke song? Um, My go-to karaoke song, Love Don't Live Here Anymore by Lady Antebellum. You know, okay. I'm a country boy and it's in my range and it's <laughs> usually a country song, so. L- Lady is, she's in a good range. Cause you can really, I mean, especially for men, it's a really, it's like a good mid range, but then there's some nice high stuff too, which you can mm-hmm. really like show off on. Yeah. So Josh, yes. you're a huge, you're a huge fan of this podcast. So you know this already, but for those that don't listen, I like to ask my guests, how do you identify? I identify as a gay man, uh, he, her, or my pronouns, but honestly, you can call me anything as long as it's out of respect. I don't care. Can I call you a bitch? You can call me a bitch. You can call me baby mama. You can call me whatever you want. <laughs> baby mama. Oh, my God. Are you coming on to me? I mean, virtually. <laughs> um, when did you come out? Came out? I mean, at I never actually came out. I was drug out. But um, I guess officially came out on my 19th birthday. Um, yeah, so... On my birthday, that would have been 2008, maybe. I take it that was not a happy experience? No, no, it's a pretty traumatic experience, but, you know, everything that we go through makes us who we are, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, never technically came out. Um, was outed by my mother, and uh, uh-huh. pretty much everyone I'd ever known in my life knew within, you know, three days. All under the guise of praying for me, of course, but. Of course. You're from a small town in Oklahoma, yes? Yeah, small town southwest Oklahoma, about uh, mm. 1,000, maybe 1,100 people. Uh, mm-hmm. Real small farming community. So, Okay. Are you a farming? Were you, were you an FFA and things like that? Yes, FFA. <sighs> I did all of it. The uh, showing animals, raised cattle, pigs, sheep. I've helped <laughs> deliver far too many um, newborn baby pigs that I care to talk about. And I always tell people I don't have a lot of special skills, but I can shear a lamb in under 30 minutes. Um, So, you know, if your lamb ever needs a haircut, give me a call. You are so butch. I am until I'm not. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Right. (laughs) Um, You are also married to a lovely man. How long have you been married? We have been married, we just celebrated, oh shit. This last November was four years of marriage, and we've been together for almost six. So, oh wow, six years total, um, four years married. What's the secret to a long, loving gay relationship? Um, you know, I 
I don't know. Uh, <laughs> still trying to figure it out, but luckily we're very happy. Um, I do think communication is key. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's cliche, but if you're not on the same page with what you want in life um, and are not just completely upfront and honest with each other, um, yeah, that things don't typically work out too well. In my sure. experience, at least. So, yeah, sure. I'd say communicate everything you're feeling and don't feel bad, fat, feel bad about it because I would rather talk it through and argue about it than, you know, let it build up and get resentful or one party not be getting uh, what they need. Yeah, you got to talk it out before you walk it out. Exactly. And then yeah. you twerk it out. Oh, all right. Your husband is also in the service or he was in the service he was he was medically retired um back in november um so that's why we came back to oklahoma what branch was navy it? yeah he was navy. in the navy mm-hmm. we um he that's what brought us to japan and then um afterwards san diego um but he while he was in um the navy he developed like a rare autoimmune disease a neurological disease Oh, really? Yeah, his military career was, uh, which he was, you know, joining to make it a career, but it was cut short by that. So that's why we were sent back from Japan to San Diego so he could get the medical care he needed. We were there for a year and a half, and then he was medically retired. So silver linings, um, they, you know, he was retired as opposed to separated. So we kept all of our benefits. He'll have a salary the rest of his life, which is nice because his disease is not, um, there's no cure. But luckily, it is uh, manageable. It's lifelong, but manageable with, you know, change of life and medications and such. So, Right. Um, was this during uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell when he was serving? No. So to my knowledge, I think Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed in like the end of 2011. Okay. Um, so it's been a little bit. Uh, he joined in 2017. Okay, so November he, of 2017. Yeah, a few years had passed since. So yeah, no, there there are at least six years uh, between when he joined and you know, don't ask, don't tell was repealed. So good. Yeah, you know, and it was really. Um, I was, I think for me as a spouse, I was nervous because I didn't know too much about the military since then, um, mm-hmm. or how things were for gay people in the military. And, um, you know, of course I can't, we can't speak for everyone's story. I can only speak from what I saw and, you know, what my husband has told me experienced, but he had a very good experience with being gay in the military. I mean, Gunnar was, is very open about it. Um, never tried to hide it and he never experienced any issues. Um, he was very well accepted. Um, you know, the other gay people that were in joined when he did they were all well accepted and um it seems like maybe they've gotten their shit together a little bit so that that was nice it was eye-opening it was refreshing yeah that's great i've also heard that the navy is the more accepting of of the military branches yeah i mean i've heard that too um so i don't maybe that had something to do with why he joined the navy he's never he never actually told me why he chose that Mm. but yeah i've heard that too um and you know he he had a great experience, you know, obviously he had a weird experience because he got sick during it and we got sent yeah. to different places. But as far as like being gay and me being a spouse, I never, you know, people automatically would assume for both of us that like, oh, your wife, your wife. But anytime I corrected them, it was not, no, no issues, no mm-hmm. 
yeah, so that part of it was a pleasant experience. And again, it was really refreshing to see that because um, there are a lot of gay people in the military now. Hey, we love to see it. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You mentioned that you had to relocate to Japan. Um, was that your first time to leave the country? That was my first time to leave the country. Um, what What was that like for you? Um, well, I'm super fucking grateful for it. Um, you know, I didn't never thought I'd get to spend, you know, 10 minutes in Japan, more or less, you know, right at a, close to a year. Uh-huh. But it was really exciting. I mean, I, I had such a um, small town upbringing, um, you know, very close knit community. Um, my whole life was that country town or the church I was raised in. And right. then went into college and, you know, lived in Oklahoma City for 12 years. And I've traveled around the United States, but I'd never been out of the country. And it was um, very culturally eye opening, of course. Um, mm -hmm. I can't speak highly enough to Japan about Japan, you know, if you ever get a chance to go, if you haven't been or to anyone listening, go to Japan, mm -hmm. the cleanest place I've ever been, the most peaceful place I've ever been. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm sure they have their issues. You know, you talk to their citizens, they are going to complain about their government just like we do. Right. But as far as um, the country itself is just gorgeous. We actually lived in rural Japan. The city was still like 500,000 people, but for Japan, that's rural. <laughs> and we lived in a little country house like in the mountains you had to drive through a tunnel to get there it was right by the ocean um and it was just oh, wow. a really cool experience to get to experience a different culture while i was working over there all of my co-workers and then the employees that worked under me were all japanese women mm -hmm. and um i learned a lot from them I'm, I'm just super grateful for it for sure opened my eyes broadened my horizons you know do you think you'll ever go back I uh, absolutely. I hope so. Uh, we've yeah. already talked about it. You know, we're trying to plan like a five-year plan to make another trip there. Um, nice. We'd like to go, you know, back to the area that we lived in, which was Sasebo, Japan, mm -hmm. which is actually really close to Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Oh wow! Yeah, Hiroshima was about an hour and a half away. Nagasaki was about the same. So beautiful. Did you go and visit? We never went to Hiroshima, um, but we did go to Nagasaki a few times. Uh -huh. Really cool city, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to go back and get to explore. You know, we were supposed to be there for three years. Um, we were only there around a year before he got sick, and then they sent us back to California. So mm -hmm. our time was cut short, but I'm grateful for the, um, you know, the time that we did get there. Right. That's amazing. So you are a very strong proponent of uh, sobriety. You have had your journey with abusing substances. And um, I would love for you to talk more about that because I think, especially within the gay community, um, there is a lot of substance abuse that just does not get really the attention it deserves. And I think a lot of gay culture is based so much around the party life and using drugs, drinking, things like that. Can you kind of talk a little bit about your sobriety journey? If, if you would like Yes, for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, um, I appreciate you asking me. And um, I think you're right. It's, um, it's been, I mean, it's been a journey. It's probably been the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life, but the mm -hmm. most fulfilling and the most worth it. Because um, I truly, I don't just say this to sound cliche, but everything I have in my life today 
I personally cannot have without my sobriety. Mm -hmm. Um, because when I, you know, everyone's bottom looks different, but when I hit my rock bottom, um, I hit my rock bottom Mm -hmm. and everything I have today. And, you know, I'm the happiest, healthiest version of myself I've ever been. It is all due to, you know, my sobriety from alcohol. So I'm a recovering alcoholic. Um, like with most other substance abuse, there were things mixed in and out throughout the years, but alcohol is my drug of choice. My last drink was July 13th, 2014. Oh, so wow. yeah, this just July will be seven years, which is freaking insane to say out loud. Congratulations. That's incredible. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, it's crazy that it, I, you know, it is, it just listen, sobriety recovery is a daily, you know, thing, but it's not something I daily think about if that makes sense. Whereas the first two or three years, I mean, it was an everyday, do not drink today. Do not drink today. You know, 12 step meetings constantly. And, um, you know, I'm still active in my recovery. I still have my tools that I use. Um, but it's not something I think about as much anymore. It's kind of just become my life and I don't Mm -hmm. miss it. I don't miss it at all because, you know, again, I was at the point of, you know, suicidal. I don't talk about that a lot, but I hit my bottom. Yeah. I keep that memory pretty fresh in my mind, um, you know, Mm -hmm. as a, as a means of motivation. Um, but you know, I had my first drink at 18 years old. I was raised in a super, uh, evangelical family, uh, fundamentalist Baptist, um, which if anyone, if you know anything about religion, if it starts off with fundamentalist, buckle up cowboy, here Mm -hmm. we go. So I grew up in a super evangelical environment. Uh, we were taught not to, you know, drink among with many other things, but, um, my first drink was at a uh, house party at 18 years old. I was dating my first boyfriend. Um, you know him, but he shall not be named. Um, just out of respect. But, you know, I was... Of course, yes. Took me to a house party with some older gays who made me a, I remember, Diet Sprite and um, Absolute Vodka. Tasted like absolute shit. But <laughs> I remember halfway through the drink thinking, I never don't want to feel like this. Mm. Um you know, I, I, I say that I was an alcoholic from the first time I was drank. I didn't always drink alcoholically um, or all day, every day, which is mm-hmm. how my journey ended up. Um, but from the first time that I, you know, drank, I was hooked because I had spent my entire upbringing terrified of being gay, terrified of going to hell and, you know, mm-hmm. all of the shame and the guilt and the fear um, that comes with that and pair that in with, you know, for diagnosed mental health disorders, my I never felt comfortable in my own skin. My brain never shut off. I always felt on edge. And it was the first time in my life um, that my brain was quiet and I felt mm. at peace and I did not feel scared. And I hit the ground running um, and I chased that cloud. It was it was my medicine for, you know, seven and a half years mm-hmm. um, until it stopped working, um, yeah. you know, but that's where it started and then you know it progressed over the years it went to partying you know just on the weekends and then the next few years drinking every night and the last two years that i drank i was drinking all day every day um from morning till night um till i you know passed out and did not know how i fell asleep where i went to sleep why i was waking up next to a stranger all of those fun uh stories so that was my uh journey with it um and then I 
had an aha moment um, that July of 2014. And people have asked me, like, what, what was your moment? Um, you know, I could list off some things. You know, friends were starting to pull themselves away from me because my rock bottom looked different than I think what a lot of people would expect. I had never been arrested. I never got a DUI. Mm -hmm. um, up until two weeks before I went to rehab, I had never lost a job because of my addiction, but I ultimately ended up losing my job because of my addiction uh, where I was bartending. And I was on the verge of ending up homeless. Um, my roommate had just gotten married at the time and was moving out. I had blown all of my money. Although I was making incredible money bartending, I was not making smart decisions. And I was sleeping on friends' couches, um, had nowhere to go. My close friends were starting to pull themselves away from me because of my behaviors. And I got to the point of not wanting to live anymore. You know, my mm -hmm. rock bottom was very much... Um, Yes, there was outside, you know, sources. I know I just listed a job and friends, but um, I had never seen any real consequences, I guess, which I think propels a lot of people into sobriety, and it, it takes yeah. what it takes. But um, for me, it was a very slow and agonizing spiritual, emotional, and in internal death. Because, like I mentioned, it wasn't just about the alcohol. You know, there was I was not treating my mental health uh, which has been an issue my whole life. I was not treating the underlying factors of why I was constantly using alcohol as medicine. And so it was just slowly eating me away on the inside. And I know anyone in recovery, and most people can relate to this, but when you don't deal with something and you're using something to cover it, it just continues to build. Mm. It's like that teapot effect, you know, until yeah. it finally blows up. And um, I was at the point of, I was done. Yeah. I wanted to either die or to get better. And for whatever reason, in a moment of clarity, I called some of my closest friends. I was blackout drunk. Um, but I had a about 15 minute, minute moment of where I did not feel drunk anymore. And I knew I needed help. And while I was in that mindset, I made the phone calls I needed to make. And I called my parents. And within 48 hours, I was in rehab. Um, and I have not looked back since. That's my story with alcohol. Um, I guess to your point about um, it being common in our community, um, you know, addiction is a bitch, man. Uh, there's mm -hmm. so many people that deal with it, and not just with drugs and alcohol, you know, with food and gambling, and, you know, the list goes on. But I was going to a um, gay 12-step meeting for a long time, and I think as gay people, um, you know, especially a lot has changed, Michael, just in the last 12 years since me and you have known each other and came out. You know, gay marriage has been legalized. It's become a lot more mainstream. You see more on TV. and But I think a lot of gay people have grown up feeling – my story is not unique. I think a mm. lot of gay people have grown up feeling shame and guilt and confusion. And, you know, especially in the Midwest, you know, we're in the Bible Belt. We're both from Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you pair that with the religious aspect. And I think that drugs and alcohol and sex and you name it kind of becomes a way of healing and yeah. covering those things and, and feeling better, you know, because that's what alcohol did for me. It made me feel better for the first time in my life. I felt okay. Right. And, you know, that's kind of just my theory on why I think it's prevalent in our community. Um and I think mental health also has a lot to do with it.
Yeah. I feel like I rambled there, but if that answered your question a little. No, that was great. Um, ha- has it been hard to stay sober during the pandemic? Um, no, you know, I'm grateful that I had some years of sobriety under my belt before yeah. my heart breaks for the people who are newly sober or trying to get sober during this. Um, cause I know meetings have a lot of, have a lot of 12 step meetings have went online and, you know, when everything was shutting down, people were not able to go into the rooms and for the first two years, two to three years of my sobriety, I was going to, um, AA four to five times a week. The first year, probably almost every day. Yeah. Um, because that's what I needed. I needed to reprogram my thinking, reprogram the way that I lived my life, um, and do anything I could to stay away from alcohol. Um, and I think the pandemic has made that hard for a lot of people. And then you pair that in with financial stresses, you know, familial stresses and, you know, even being in a relationship, you know, yeah. being stuck in a house with someone is, is hard. And I think it's been hard on people's mental health, which ties mm-hmm. directly into sobriety and mm-hmm. recovery. Um, and so for me, I'm luckily, I had, you know, five and a half years close to by the time the pandemic really hit and things got locked down. Um, so I didn't feel myself struggle as much, but I could not help but think of the people who were struggling during it. Right. What is some good advice for people that are just kind of starting out in their sobriety or like what's something you wish that you would have known right right out the gate? You know, it sounds cliche, but you are not alone. Mm-hmm. You absolutely are not alone. And that's why I try hard to talk about my sobriety, even though sometimes it's uncomfortable for even me or, you know, people around me is I want people to know they're not alone. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I went to rehab and I was in there with other people. um, But there still for a while was this sense of, you know, I had all my friends behind me supporting me, but you just feel it took me a long time to feel comfortable in my own skin as a sober person. Um, And it took a lot of years of reaching out to other people that were sober and going into 12-step programs and listening to other people's stories um, to realize that I am not unique. I am not alone. I can't do it alone. Um, And I think that's the thing that scared me the most. Mm. Um, At the beginning, you know, I did not know who I was without alcohol and I did not know my life without alcohol. Um, And I came to realize that... I'm a better version of me, but not only that, there are a lot more people willing to be in my life and a lot more people that I can relate to when I'm a healthier Mm -hmm. version of myself. And so I guess my advice would be talk about it, reach out to other people. Not, it doesn't even have to be people in recovery, your friends, your family, be open about what you're going through. Cause I promise you, you're going to find ways to relate to people and people to relate to that you never thought you were. And I truly I'm not going to say you couldn't do it, but I, I see recovery being something that would be hard or near impossible to do on your own. And so I would say find a community, build that community, surround yourself with people that lift you up and can support you through your new journey in life because it is a new journey and you have to relearn how to find yourself and, and, and just live. Um, so, you know, I'm an advocate for 12-step programs. That doesn't work for everyone, and I think that's okay. I think you just need to find your community 
and grow within that community. Mm-hmm. I will say you're the first person that I have known. The, well, the first person I've been close to that has gone through um, this a, a, a sobriety journey. And it is really encouraging to like be a part of that with you and to kind of follow along, even if it's from a distance. It is nice to see. And looking back, I never thought that your drinking was destructive at the time. And I mean, I, I, I'm sure you, you were hiding things for maybe the benefit of us or whatever, but even our close friend group, I, I didn't ever think that I didn't see a problem, but knowing how you were feeling deep down, I mean, it's, it is really illuminating and, um, I'm so proud of you. I mean, I think it's really incredible. It's really encouraging. I remember, (laughs) when you brought up that we went to karaoke at the boom one night and I was like, this is a bar. This is probably not going to be good. But you, you were like, yeah, it's fine. Well, yeah, because it's, you know, uh, my responsibility to stay sober, you know? Um, yeah. And it's my responsibility to put myself in situations where I feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I tried to make at the beginning, I really, I think a lot of people were struggling to, it's uncomfortable when someone is starting a new chapter, um, especially with something like sobriety, you know, um, yeah. it is something so major and it's so important to my health and my well-being um, that I think it kind of made people uncomfortable. They didn't want, to, and only out of love, you know, nobody wanted to overstep or put me, and I always appreciated it. Um, mm-hmm. So I've just tried to be cognizant over the years of letting people know, like, I'm in control of my safety. Um and so it's my job to say no. So I don't ever want you to ever feel bad. And, you know, for the first the first year that I was sober, I did not step foot in a bar because mm-hmm. um, it was just I did not want to put myself in that situation because it was so important for me to stay sober. Um, yeah. And then over the years, you know, birthdays, I would go now, you know, here's the thing. I don't drink. So there's a point in the night where everyone's drunk and it's not fun for me anymore. Yeah. It doesn't tempt me. It's just not mm-hmm. fun anymore. But I I'm at a I'm at a place now where um, I can go to bars and, you know, clubs and I love to dance and I love to sing and it's fine um, for me now. But I worked my way into that and I have Got a it. rule for myself. Um, if I am not in a good headspace, you know, if I am in a depression or in a super anxiety ridden mode, I will not go to a bar because I may not be thinking about alcohol at the time, but alcohol was my medicine and the reality is whether i am having that obsession now there's no reason to put josh in a situation where josh might want to drink because i'm in a bad place you know what i mean right right so if i met you out at when we met at the boom i I was in a place to be there um Mm. so yeah don't ever worry about that i appreciate it and um i think you're a lot of people you know talking now back um i was really good at hiding it you know again i wasn't getting DUIs and and I'm not trying to compare stories um, for other people or put anyone down. It's just, I think I was, I hate to say functioning alcoholic, but I was a functioning alcoholic. I maintained a job. I maintained friendships. I got myself through college. Mine was an internal struggle. But even before I drank, I had those same internal problems, those um, struggles. You know, I, my upbringing was rough with the evangelical beliefs, Um, but I kind of, became like a master actor and became really good at hiding things and put up a persona of this kind of like 
say whatever he thinks, like, you know, mm -hmm. when on the inside it wasn't matching up. And so I think it was hard for people to know exactly what was going on because I wasn't talking about it. I mean, even, you know, my boyfriends at the time, um, some of my closest, closest friends did not realize. Um, and, you know, things got a little worse after we all graduated college and kind of went our own different ways. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I had just gotten so good at hiding everything in my life and internalizing it um, that I did that until I could not do that anymore. Right. Something else that you kind of have have recently started sharing is your spiritual journey. And um, we, we both have similar backgrounds as far as we both grew up in evangelical Christian homes. And um, I definitely had had my uh, moment of exploration into other ways of thinking. But I would love to know kind of what your uh, journey into a, a different spiritual realm has been like. For sure. Um, I want to preface this with I'm not trying to shit on anyone's religious beliefs or anything like that. So this is this is I'm still trying to find the balance between using humor to talk about my you know, religious upbringing and um, kind of being an advocate for people who have similar backgrounds. Mm -hmm. uh, it was rough, man. It was rough. Yeah. I grew up in a fundamentalist Baptist church, um, very small community, um, six, 60, 70 people. And, you know, I was also in a small town, so I had a very closed off experience from the rest of the world. Um, we were not allowed to watch much on TV, only mm -hmm. allowed to listen to Christian music. Um, I actually went to, um, I don't know if I, you know this, but I went to, I only went to public school eighth grade through senior year. I went to a fundamentalist Christian school in a church kindergarten through seventh grade. And I'm talking I did not know like, that. Yes. Set in, you sit in a cubicle, you have to raise a flag to be acknowledged and you teach what? yourself from these books. Yes. How have we never talked? I don't know. This I didn't talk about it for a long time, but it's like a cult. Um, I mean, it has a lot of markings of a cult, um, yeah. but, and, you know, every page, yes, they had to teach us the basics of math and English so they could stay open as a school, but every page mm. was plastered with a Bible story or a scripture verse. And, you know, there was, there was chapel every morning and every evening, and you only got to socialize like one hour out of the day. Cause the rest of the time you were in this cubicle, memorizing Bible verses and learning the basics. And it was, you know, I mentioned before, but I. I struggle with chronic depression, chronic anxiety. And so that alone, that kind of isolation was hard enough for mm. a kid that struggles with that. Mm. Um, but you pair that in with the, I've always known I was gay. Um, always. I've never not known. Um, and you know, in the religion I was raised in, being gay is about as bad as you can be. I've witnessed child predators get a little more compassion than I received once I actually came out. Yeah. And again, this is not to shit on their beliefs or my parents or anything. I'm just sharing my story. So I was always cognizant of there's something wrong with you and there's something really, really badly wrong with you. And so that, you know, ate away at me for a lot of years um, and yet really damaged my psyche. And it's taken, you know, I'm 32 and I'm still unpacking shit with therapy and, you know, meditation. Um, but I guess today I've I don't. I abhor organized religion. I personally mm -hmm. think it's a stain on the earth because it's caused more damage than it has good. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone would have a problem with religion um, if it had not caused so much pain for people. Right. But I am a very spiritual person. And mm-hmm. um, I consider myself, I guess, a spiritual agnostic. As in, I'm not going to say there is a God or there isn't a God. I think if there is, it's so far beyond our understanding that nobody's right. Yeah. And kind of none of our damn business to even worry about it because regardless, mm-hmm. we're here. And I'd rather spend time working on my internal spiritual life so I can connect to the people around me and, you know, be a vessel of love and, you know, positivity in the world than yeah. worry about what some higher power, where he's going to send me when I die. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been a journey, man. It's taken a lot of therapy and a lot of working through a lot of resentments. Um, and I've spirituality to me is more of an internal thing. I meditate a lot. I read a lot. Um, and it's more about finding a connection to a higher power. I don't need a name or a face or a gender or a backstory for that anymore. Yeah. Um, it's just the connection and letting that guide me. Um, so that's where I'm at. It's, it's been, uh, it's been a journey. It's weird not believing in hell, but still being scared of hell at 30 years old. You know what I mean? I am right there with you. Yeah. I recently have just kind of started to, um, and I think it has been the fact that we are in a pandemic and so many people, I've talked about this before, but so many people are, are taking it upon themselves to like look inwardly now because we're just forced to be by ourselves so much. Um, but I've really been taking it upon myself to kind of really look into what I believe in. And the more I think about it and the more that I, I kind of research it, I don't really believe in hell either because even early Christians didn't even believe in hell. Mm-hmm. Jews don't even have a hell. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like these, these, these pre-Christian religions don't have an afterlife. That right. is, you know, a, you know, a damnation, essentially. So I just think it's so fascinating. And I, I mean, I, I kind of, my ideas kind of align with yours in, in that I, I'm more spiritual. And um, I, I'm sort of agnostic as well in that I believe that there there is a higher power, but we are just such a um, lesser life form that we couldn't even really comprehend. It's like trying to teach calculus to a second grader. You know what I mean? Or, it or just, just to me. <laughs> yes. So it just, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like right there with you. I totally, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. It's weird how um, in religion damages the psyche, um, I guess, yes. especially as a child, because, you know, you trust adults mm-hmm. and you trust that what you're being told is true, um, but also knowing I was gay my whole life and knowing there was nothing I could do about it, it really was like this weird conflict because I think I've always been a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always wanted to connect and I've always, but the avenue in which I was given and what I was taught was a very scary avenue that I could not make sense of. And it really caused a lot of conflict and um, that it's, it's ta- you know, it's, it's still something I'm working on. And um, there are days that, I struggle more than others and um, but you're right I think it's it's I've basically I got to the point where I was like you can't be resentful at your parents in this religion anymore if you're not going to take the damn time to to figure out what you believe you know what I mean yes and so um, I kind of got to that point and I was like okay sitting around pissed off is not doing anything and it's not helping you spiritually like if you don't believe this shit and it really has caused you that much problems well then it's time to figure out what you believe 
And right. so I really started that journey. I think living in Japan, which is a strong Buddhist society where everything's peaceful. Um, and I started studying, you know, not a lot, but I started looking a little bit into Buddhism and meditating and then moving to California, you know, where there's a lot of spiritual hippies. It was really good for me. And mm-hmm. throughout the pandemic, um, I, I wasn't working. I had left my job to take care of my husband during his sickness um, because there was points, Michael, where he was incapacitated, couldn't get out of bed. It was, um, you know, this is something he'll deal with forever, but he's at least on medications now. But we made the decision for me to, to leave work for a couple years um, to help take care of him. So during 2020, I was not working. I was at home. Um, and so I was really able to dive into some spiritual readings and deep meditation. And I started running daily. Um, I've become a runner, which I never thought would happen. But um, it was really good for me in the sense that I actually got to sit down and take the time while still seeing my therapist um, to figure out what the hell I actually believe and kind of work on those resentments, which I still struggle with to these day, mm-hmm. uh, to this day. But it was really good for me in the sense that, like you said, I was able to actually sit down and figure out what I believe, do the soul searching um, and not feel guilty about it. For the first time in my life, I don't feel guilty about it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel guilty about questioning things. Yeah. I don't feel guilty about some days not believing anything because it really is just a process. And I think as long as, you know, I'm keeping my side of the street clean and not hurting other people, that's okay. You know, I think life's about growth and it doesn't have to happen overnight and you don't have to have the mm. exact answers like in this moment. For sure. That is such a great way to think. And I, I think if more people, I mean, at the end of the day, you can only, you're only able to do what you can do. I mean, so the fact that, that you are saying, I'm just going to do this, work on me, make sure that I am the best I can be. I mean, that's going to, you're already, I mean, like I told you, I, I see a change in you and I'm sure I'm not the only one. So I think I really you're, I, I, I love hearing about your your journey and and watching it happen well thank you yeah i appreciate that i love watching yours too i'm glad um we've you know stayed in touch through all these years we may not see each other but every couple years but it's i've always adored the shit out of you and found you (gasps) me yes and i loved your sister and oh that bitch yeah right (laughs) well thank you that's very sweet um oh okay so you were in a a project called the stand-in yes okay can you tell us a little bit more about that i tried to find it the other night because i wanted to watch it i couldn't find it okay so yusuf yusuf kazmi who you know yes i want to have him on as well yes so he's my bestie still to this day um and he made a short film called the stand-in um which we actually made back in 2018 um it kind of got rushed because Well, let me explain the story first. Um, Please do. The story is about a gay man getting married um, whose family has declined to come to his wedding. And his best friend's mother stands in for him as his parent at the wedding. Mm -hmm. Um, It kind of goes a little more. It's 20 minutes, and it goes in a little bit into the backstory of that. But it is based on my relationship with his mother, Mama. So... But she has been my, um, you know, my relationship with my family right now is the, my mom especially is the best it's ever been. 
Um, yeah. And again, I'm not on here to blame anything on them, you know, shit on them or anything. Our relationship's just a journey, and it has been a journey. And for about a decade, it was awful. Um, yeah. But you know, in the last few years, I think with the pandemic and my parents getting older in age and me getting healthy, because regardless of you know everything I thought, it took me getting healthy too, to take accountability for my part of the bullshit, because um, I did not always act out of love, and I can see that now. But it just a lot of things have brought us together. Um, me moving out of the country, and right now we're the best we've ever been. Me and my parents genuinely have a friendship. You know, we've got a lot of work to do, but things are good, and there's love there. Yeah. But for the past ten years, Yusuf's mom has been my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's been there when I needed her to be. And that's what this film is about. You know, I got married in 2016, two days before Trump got elected, because I was trying to get grandfathered in in case that idiot tried anything. That's smart. We got married in 2016, and uh, me and my family still weren't good. And not a single member of my family um, was at my wedding. My parents declined. Um, and Yusuf's mom was there for me, like she had been for the entire decade. And that's what this film's about. Yusuf makes projects mm-hmm. that are personal to him. Um, yeah. He also involved Sarah Cunningham, which yes, uh, free mom hugs. Everyone mm-hmm. listening, please look up Sarah Cunningham. She's doing incredible work. Free mom hugs. Um, you know, she said that she would go stand in for any couple whose parents were not going to be there. And so she was a part of the film. And that's that's what the film's about. Uh, we filmed it in a rush over a three-day weekend because I was moving to Japan three <laughs> three weeks later. Oh, Jesus. So we filmed it. I packed up, moved to Japan, and then he worked on, you know, the editing and the post-production. And it's um, – so it, it's been on the film festival circuit. Um, mm-hmm. It's not really available for public viewing yet. And the film festivals have been weird because of the pandemic hit mm. after. It really would have kind of went through most of it in 2020, but then – um, everything was online. So there are still ways. Um, it actually was just in a Valentine's film festival out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, a few nights ago. Oh, wow. Um, so there are ways to watch it. Um, if people keep up with mine or Yusuf's um, social media, we post anytime it's available. Okay. Um, and at some point he is talking about making it publicly um, available, whether that's on his Facebook, I'm not sure. Amazing. But it was an incredible project. It was um, – very personal to all of us involved and he actually asked me to play myself under a character name of brian Mm -hmm. um and it was i don't consider myself an actor by any means but it was such a personal story for all of us that we were excited to tell and yeah that's the rundown on that and it was uh, an incredible incredible um process and an incredible story that i'm glad we all got to share because you know again yeah. my story is not unique there's you know plenty of people i mean sarah cunningham stays busy going to people's weddings i can and imagine there's you know things have progressed a lot but you know there are still a lot of people suffering it's a lot of people you know struggling with their family's acceptance and it is good to know chosen family is real y'all Chosen Mm. family is real. And, you know, this one I say back to adoring you. You know, you guys all in college, everyone at Casa de Homo. Oh, yeah. Y'all were my family. I mean, Mm -hmm. I didn't talk about it much or at all, but that was during the worst, um, the worst of my relationship with my family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was really struggling. So just having that support group of good people around me really, it saved me. It truly saved me. So thank you for that. And for all of our crew back in the day, um, Chosen Family's real. And that's what this film is about. It's about mm-hmm. Chosen Family. And I think gay people 
know that all too well. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was exciting to be a part of and exciting to get to tell that part of the story. Well, I hope that it does become available for public viewing because I think it would do very, very well. Yusuf, if you're listening, I want you to come on the podcast. He's. I'm at his house right now. I got snowed in up here, so... Well, tell his people to call my people. I'll, I will tell him to message you, and I'm sure he'll find a way for you to watch the film. So. Okay. I'm, I'm actually, I, I do want to reach out to him because I would love to have him on and talk, talk more about this project. Absolutely. He would yeah. Well, Josh, we're kind of getting to the end of our, our time together here. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you having me. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Before you leave, um, uh, I didn't put this on the outline, but... At the end of every episode, I like to ask my guest, is there a queer person in your life that has influenced you in any sort of way? It can either be maybe like the first gay person you ever met or um, just anybody that kind of impacted you, kind of helped help you grow, lifted you up. Is there anybody in your life that you can think of? Oh, absolutely. Uh, my best friend Yusuf, who we just talked about. Oh, great. 100%. Yes. Um, we met uh, kind of a really pivotal part of our lives. He has a, um, he comes from, he also went to Christian school, um, mm -hmm. but you know, he has a, his mother's very accepting of him, but he has a lot of, had dealt with a lot of these same self doubts that I had and the religious conflict. And we kind of met each other at a time where we were trying to come into our own yeah. and we really have grown into adulthood and queerhood and gayhood and sisterhood and all the hoods together. Um, <laughs> And yeah, he inspires me uh, more than I think I could ever let him know. Um, so yeah, he is my gay inspiration. His, your your inspiration, if you will. Inspiration, yeah. Yes, I'll I'll tag him down on the show notes as well, so people can follow him. He is a light. And he, I'm just gonna say now, he's gonna be a future guest because we're gonna make it happen. There you go. And if he doesn't <laughs> say me, I'm going to block him. Where can everyone follow you if they want to follow you? So the only social media that I actively use is Instagram. Um, Perfect. And my handle is Midwest Dad Bod. Because I, 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 I couldn't imagine why you chose that one. Well, I'm sober, but I'm still an idiot. That's never going to change. <laughs> Some things don't change, Michael. Um, so you can just follow me on Instagram. Like I said, we post anytime that the film's showing. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about my sobriety and my religion on my – or my religion. My, my journey with religion on my yeah. Instagram. So. Anyone that's struggling with mental health or, or recovery, um, feel free to reach out. I am not the expert. I am going through this shit, too, in this journey. But, again, like I said earlier, it's important to find a community. Um, mm -hmm. And I think if when we go through shitty things in life, if we can turn them around to help someone else, it kind of makes it worth it, you know, mm -hmm. if we can use our scars to help others. So to anyone listening, if you're struggling in any way, reach out to someone. I'm here to talk, whether I know you or not. Um, yeah, so that's how to find me. Well, Josh, thank you so very, very much. Is there any last words you'd like to leave us with? Own your truth, speak your truth, be your truth, and just do it with as much love as you possibly can, even though it's not always easy. So, Slow clap. Very good. Slow clap. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> I love you, buddy. Thank you so much, Josh. I really appreciate you doing this. Yes, I appreciate you having me. Of course. Go forth and be gay, everyone. Yes. Yes.